The Beatitudes are an interesting topic. They are, as I mentioned already in, in my prayer, they are the beginning of Jesus' longest sermon. Now, he probably did more sermons than just this, but this is the longest one that we have on record. This, um, this idea of doing the Beatitudes is to give us an idea of who God wants us to be in this world in which we live. That is why you've, when, when Jesus did the Beatitudes, after he did the Beatitudes and the attitudes that we should have, he goes on to say, you've heard it said, but I say unto you. You can read about this, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, as Jesus does the Sermon on the Mount. His whole message was, you've heard it said, uh, don't, um, don't murder. But I tell you, but I say unto you, if you hate your brother, it's just like murdering him. So Jesus translates this idea of, uh, I do the right things, therefore I must be a good person, to uh, it doesn't have so much to do with what you do. It's where that all begins, and it begins in our hearts. So we call them the Beatitudes. I love Brent, uh, Brent's message that he did. I, I, uh, I listened to that and, and uh, loved what Brent had to say, and I actually wrote it down because it was brilliant. Borderline brilliant. Borderline brilliant. It, after all, your message was on meekness. I can't, you know, I can't, I got to keep you up. Brent said, these are not be actions, but they're be attitudes. So we can do actions, you can fake actions, right? But you can't, can't fake your attitude. And so Jesus wants to do a, a, a change in our attitudes, in our, in our hearts. And without these attitudes, you'll never succeed at being the kind of person that you need to be, that God needs you to be, so that the kingdom can be seen in a sin-filled world. Every day, you and I come toe-to-toe with, with sin. You see it on your TV, you see it at work, you see it in, in your kids, you see it everywhere. The question is, when you, when you, are, um, when you come toe-to-toe with something that you know is not right or that you know is influenced by sin, how is your attitude toward that? That's why these are called be attitudes. And for this one, we come to the be attitude of be merciful. In fact, here's how it goes exactly. Matthew 5, 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Plain, simple, straightforward. When I was growing up, I would uh, fight a lot. It's what you did back then. Um, uh, and I was a boy, so, you know, it's, it's just what you did. And as we were growing up, we would wrestle each other to the ground. We would, we, would, uh, we would sit on one another. We would force the other person to the ground. We would drive them down. And then in order to really prove our point, we would, we would get them tangled up like a pretzel so that they would not be able to move. And you forced your will on them uh, by, by holding them down. And you would only let them up if they admitted they were vanquished. And the way they admitted they were vanquished is you would say, say, mercy, <laughs> mercy. say uncle, right? Say uncle, say uncle. And when the person said uncle, it was their way of saying, I give up. And then you let them up and you, and you say, look, look how much better I am than you, right? That's, that's the whole point of it. The sheer force of one person against another drives them to the ground in humiliation, and you only let them up when they beg for it. And I hate to tell you that the world in which we live is very similar to that. What is the natural tendency of our human nature to those who are weaker than us? Now, not the redeemed nature, but the natural nature. 
For somebody that's weaker than, than you, especially in the business world, or, or uh, you ever see that McDonald's, that McDonald's movie that just came out? Oh my goodness, that's just like, that guy was like, you know what I would do to somebody that's drowning? I'd stick a fire hose in his mouth. This idea that if somebody's weaker than me, I'm going to crawl on their shoulders and I'm going to be greater than they are. Uh, what is the natural? Now, that may, may not be you. Maybe you're thinking, I'm not like that at all. I want to help other people. I want to I serve other people. That's great. But what is your natural tendency when you are wronged? When somebody does something that's clearly wrong and they offend you, uh, now it becomes a little more personal, right? Now it becomes, well, my natural tendency should be to maintain a relationship and make sure we're, we're okay. Is that your first tendency? What is your natural tendency when you are wronged to the point where somebody owes you something? They abuse you by taking away something that you own or that you have, and they, owe, they clearly are in the wrong and they owe you. What's your natural tendency? When we're children, we drive each other to the ground and we hold each other down until somebody says, until the person that's under submission says, uncle. When you translate that to an adult uh, setting, as we, uh, as we grow up, it's kind of like, eh, we, don't, we don't fight like that anymore. We're not like little children, but sometimes we still have those same tendencies to force our will on others or to make sure that they know if they hurt us, they pay. God has a sense of humor. Every one of these Beatitudes that I've been studying through, every week God gives me an opportunity to experience it firsthand. Uh, I was driving through the McDonald's on, uh, uh, in uh, Hanover Park. They have a construction going on. It's funny how McDonald's keeps coming up. That's just, it's in the, maybe I need a Coke. So uh, I was driving through the McDonald's and there's construction going on. And the way that you get through this is you gotta go all the way around and you gotta order your food and then come back around and pick up at the window. But the cones are out in the middle of the parking lot. So you gotta actually drive around the cones, come up to the window and then drive out again. So I drove in, I just wanna get a Coke, pick it up and go. And as I'm going through, there's a car sitting in the middle of the parking lot. I don't know why he's there. The, the parking spots are all on the right-hand side. This car, white car, sedan, sitting in the middle of the parking lot. So I thought, I don't know why they're sitting there. The window's way off to the left. Maybe, I don't know what they're doing. I just did the natural thing. I just drove around the car. As I did, keep in mind, I had just been putting meat on this message that morning. As I'm driving around the car, the man in the, in the passenger side opens the door into my car, just misses me by inches. And I, I, it struck me, and, and so I, I drove around, and he, he gave me a bit of a glare. Uh, and then as I'm driving around, I'm going, ooh, thank, thank goodness I didn't get nailed by the, by the door. And then all of a sudden, I hear, and, and, it just, and I drive all the way around, and it's still going, I can still hear it as I'm driving around the building. The woman that was sitting in the, in, the, in the driver's seat lays on the horn like I did something wrong. So I'm thinking to myself, what did I do? I mean, maybe somebody, maybe she was mad at somebody else. Maybe she's mad at one of the workers or something. So I drove around and I drove up to the window and I said, was that lady honking at me? And she said, yeah, she was, she was honking at you. And I said, well, what did I do? And she said, you did nothing wrong. I said, you're supposed to drive up to the window, right? Yeah, you're supposed to drive up to the window. She was in the wrong, right? Yeah, she shouldn't have been sitting out there. And she said, when the guy opened the door, I saw that you almost got hit. And I was, uh, I was worried that, that you almost got hit. So I said, so I made sure this person in the window knew I was in the right. Because <laughs> I was in the right. 
And I had a horn honked at me all the way around the building because apparently that person said I was in the wrong and somebody should have admitted I was in the right. <laughs> that is the natural tendency. And it happens all the time. And we think to ourselves, how many times do we have to show mercy to people? And this is where this makes it a hard message to do. I guarantee you, by the end of the day, you will have an opportunity because God has a sense of humor. You'll have an opportunity to put this message into practice because we are called to give mercy on a regular basis. Let me read it for you one more time. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Here's what we need to know about Jesus. His whole goal, his whole purpose in life, his whole purpose in living here was to release debtors who owed him something. Jesus' whole purpose was to release those who were born enemies of God. His whole purpose was to give them freedom. And he calls us to do the same. Jesus wants us to be mercy givers. And if we're going to bring heaven to earth, if we're going to show the kingdom and what that's like, what it's like to live in the kingdom of God, we are going to have to be people who continually show mercy. That means, and here's where it hurts, that means not holding grudges. Isn't it great to hold grudges? I mean, it gives you, a, I mean, I told you the story about the McDonald's incident. That happened like four days ago. It's good to hold a grudge. It makes you feel like, yeah, I'm still right. But in the kingdom of God, it means releasing grudges. It means releasing debt. It means offering blessing. But how does this work when somebody continually hurts you? Or how does this work when somebody continually abuses others and never gets punished? Or how does this work when justice is called for? Or how does this work when your kids need discipline? Or how does it work when a church is supposed to carry out spiritual discipline? Let's explore it. First of all, let me ask you this question. Who is in debt to you? That's a weird way to ask it, isn't it? Who is in debt to you? The definition of mercy is not getting what I do deserve. Releasing somebody from something that they owe. How many of you have heard of O.J. Simpson? You've heard of this guy? Yeah. Uh, the younger, younger ones among us, uh, one of my kids came up to me because of all that's been happening in the recent past with this guy, and, and she said, uh, who's O.J. Simpson? I just thought that's hilarious. Um, so O.J.'s been in and out of jail uh, for, for a little while, uh, in and out of the courts more specifically. Um, he was incarcerated for kidnapping, arm, armed robbery, and assault with a deadly weapon in 2007. He's been in jail ever since, sentenced to 33 years in prison. This year, he came up for uh, his parole hearing, and justice demands that that sentence is carried out. But he gets to come before a parole board and state why he should be let go. Last month, he did that. He begged the panel to let him go. He begged them to let him have parole. In other words, he begged them for mercy. And they saw fit to grant him that mercy by sentencing him to a lesser time and allowing him to go out on parole actually in October. Mercy means letting somebody go who owes something. That's why we call it, we throw ourselves at the, on the mercy of the court. 
Mercy means that person owes something, but they're given a lesser sentence or we let them off completely. And you know what you've been judged to deserve, but you've been giving something far better. Your sentence has been, has been lessened. My question is, why is it so hard for us to be merciful people? There's three reasons, I think, why it's hard for us to be merciful. Why most of us would look at a situation and say, that's justice and justice needs to be done. Here's why it's hard to be merciful. Number one, our old nature. That old nature is the nature that holds somebody down until they say, uncle, we hold everyone else, usually everyone else, but one person to a higher standard. Who's the one person we don't hold to the higher standard? Ourselves. We hold everybody else to this incredibly high standard, but when it comes to us, we expect them to understand. Here's where that comes out most prevalent in communication. This happens so often. When you have a conversation with somebody else and they misinterpret what you say, and you say, come on, you knew what I meant, why are you being so mean to me? And they say, because you said this, and you say, I didn't mean that, you need to give me, you need to understand, you need to give me mercy. But <laughs> when they have a conversation with us, we do exactly the same thing, right? Here's one of the worst places that happens, texting. Texting is the worst, or emails, aren't they? You write something in an email and you, and you do it quick because you're ordering a Coke at McDonald's and you gotta get through the drive-through. I'm gonna use that all day now. So you're texting real quick, you say, um, uh, I don't know, you write something real quick and you send it away and you get your Coke and you drive on and then all of a sudden you get a text back and it says, are you mad at me? <laughs> no, I'm not mad at you, I just wrote you the text. Of course not I'm mad at you, I just wrote you a text. You're really mad at me, aren't you? No, I'm not mad at you. Stop asking me that. What did I do to tick you off? You know, and on and on it goes because your texts are interpreted a totally different way than you mean. Isn't that not true? Am I the only person that that's ever happened to? Because you do a quick text and, or emails. Emails are the worst because you can't communicate your emotion in an email. Or you can. Facebook is like, that's at the top of the list too. A lot of people use Facebook in terrible ways, and they're not asking for mercy, they're just using it to vent. In this case, though, we have a tendency to, when we communicate with somebody else, we have a tendency to hold them to a higher standard and expect them to understand what we mean. In other words, we give ourselves a lot more mercy, and we expect others to give us a lot more mercy than we offer a lot of times. That's the old nature. The old nature looks for opportunities to get offended. Number two, the second reason why this is very difficult uh, to release people that are in debt to us is that our new nature takes its, its cue from God. It is not natural. The new nature that God gives us is not natural to us. It, you, you need to work at it. It needs to be changing your life. You need to be moving into more of an image of Christ. What comes natural is usually not right. Mercy can be given when an offense has been committed, but it's very difficult to do so. And so God, God begins to change us when we accept him as our savior to build into us his nature. And this is God's nature. He is a merciful God. Here's how I know that. In scripture, in multiple points of scripture, God tells us that at one time we were all enemies of God. Can you believe that? There are verse after verse after verse about how we have walked as enemies of God. One of my favorite is Romans 5.10. 
Simply the fact that you were at one time enemies of God, but because of his great love for us, he has pulled us to become his friends. We were rebels of God in our very nature. You might say to, say to me, Craig, well, how was I an enemy of God? How, how, how would that be the case? Simply this, when you were in your sin, if you have not accepted Christ as your savior, if his blood has not covered your sin, you are daily receiving gifts and blessings from God and you are not giving him the credit for it. That is ungrateful, selfish, um, pick a word. When you come to know Christ as your savior, you begin to understand everything that you have is because God loves you. Even the comfort that you receive through the tough times of life is because God has compassion on you. And so you give God thanks, you give him credit. Think of all the things that God has given to you that you don't give him credit for. I mean, even the fact that we sit here with our hearts beating, breathing the air that we are, is proof to us that we have a God who loves us. I'm constantly amazed how my body heals itself. And this is because God loves us. He has given these gifts to us on a regular basis. And when we were enemies of the cross, what that means is that we gave no credit to God and no thanks to him and lived our lives apart from his grace. We were in debt to him and we declared our rights to live against him. That makes us rebels. Anytime that a, a compassionate, giving father blesses you over and over again, you grab what you can from his hand and live for yourself, that is the definition of rebellion. If your child did that, you would call them rebellious. When we acted this way, we snatched God's blessing from his hands every day. We didn't give him thanks, we didn't give him, give him credit, we declared we don't need him at all while we actually depended on his mercy for our very breath. We were enemies of God, yet God did not destroy us. <laughs> and that's mercy. When others offend, offend us, God expects us to show them this same level of mercy. In scripture, there's a story in Matthew chapter 18 that I don't have time to go into, and I wish I did, but I would encourage you to read this. Uh, it's not on the screen. Matthew chapter 18 is a wonderful story about a powerful authority figure. A, um, actually, Jesus starts it out, it's a parable, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. One of his servants owed him millions of dollars. Whenever told why, he would borrow millions of dollars from the king, but that's what he owed him, and he could never pay him back. The king called him in, and he wanted to settle all these accounts, so he said to the servant, you owe me millions of dollars, it's time to pay your debts. And the servant said, there's no way. I, I can't pay it, and beyond that, I'll never be able to pay it. I, I've got a crummy job, I'll never save that amount of money, I owe you something, I'm never gonna be able to repay you. And do you remember the response of the king? You know this parable, don't you? The king looks at him and he says, I forgive all your debts. You owe me nothing. You're free to go. And you think to yourself, wow, that's amazing, right? That's what Jesus wants you to think. That's why the parable is so outrageous. He owed millions of dollars, but he couldn't pay it, and the king lets him go. As he goes out of the, the king's palace, on his way home, he comes across his friend, Jerry. Jerry's not in the Bible, but we'll call him Jerry for now. Jerry owes him a hundred bucks. 
And he looks at Jerry and he thinks to himself, I just got humiliated in front of the king. I had to grovel and I had to ask for mercy. And Jerry's walking around with my hundred bucks in his pocket. And I know he didn't use it for the right things. So he grabs Jerry by the throat and he holds him until he can't breathe. And he says, give me my hundred dollars right now. Jerry says, almost verbatim, what the man just said to the king. I can't pay you. I don't have it. I, I spent it. It's gone. I don't have it. I wish I could pay it, but I don't have it, and I don't know when I'm ever going to pay you. And the man calls for the guards, and he says, throw this man in prison. He owes me money, and don't let him out until he pays his debt. Well, the king hears what happens, and the king calls the servant in front of him again, and he says, let's just have a conversation here for a minute. I forgave you millions of dollars. I let you go free. You'll never owe me a cent. And you choke a guy and send him to prison because he owes you a hundred bucks? Is that, is that the story? And the man says, yes, I did, but I wasn't thinking. I didn't understand. I didn't, I didn't get it. And the king says to the servant, no, you don't get it. And because of that, you are going to go to jail until you pay me what you owe me. Jesus said life in the kingdom is like that. Life in the kingdom means we understand, those of us that know Christ as our Savior, how much we have been forgiven. And when we live our lives, when somebody offends us, when they owe us, when they hurt us, we don't stick our hands around their neck or shove them to the ground until they cry uncle. We don't seek to get even. Our first response is to give them mercy. Why? Because we have been given a bucket full of it. In fact, in Matthew 18, 35, here's, what, here's how the parable ends. In anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debts. And then Jesus says, so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. You get that? Does that sound like an action or an attitude? It sounds like an attitude to me. If you do not forgive your brother from the heart, so we started the message and it was like, yeah, I'm a fairly merciful person. A little harder when you start thinking, no, it's not about what you do. It's about how you feel. You forgive them from the heart. The third reason why it's so hard to forgive people that owe us or that wrong us is because it, we make mental notes when we feel we are wronged. We have a tendency that something in our brain, something in our DNA, puts people on the naughty list or on the nice list. And every time we see them, we say, ah, they're on the naughty list or they're on the nice list. And you know why we do that? This is horrible. You know why we do that? Because it makes us feel justified when we can prove we're right and they're wrong. Mercy is universal in application. <laughs> what do I mean by that? That means that, I'll just, I'll give you the attribute of God, because this is where it comes from. Who will God forgive? You can answer. Who will God forgive? Anyone who, anyone who asks. Anyone who comes to him and asks for forgiveness. Who will God forgive? Anyone who asks. Who will you forgive? Hmm. Who will you show mercy? Well, Craig, what if they don't ask? Unfortunately, the application of mercy is universal. 
We're not dealing with an action. We're dealing with an attitude. Who will God not forgive? He will forgive anyone who asks. He holds mercy and forgiveness out there to anyone who will take it. For us, we close our fists and we don't hold it out until somebody has proven that they've wronged us. Now, this could also be in reality, which is what we're talking about, or it could be in our perception of reality. Do you know what that means? (laughs) Sometimes I feel like I'm wronged, but I really haven't been wronged. Has that ever happened to you? Sometimes I feel like somebody has done me poorly, but they really haven't. To them, they have no idea what's going on, and I'm just going like, I'm gonna hold my breath until you realize how bad you've been to me, right? <laughs> we have a tendency to hold people to, an, to a higher standard than we would hold to ourselves in reality or in our perception of reality, or, this is even worse, if we get false information about somebody else. Oh, that's the kind of person they are? They go on my naughty list. We have this mental thing in our DNA that automatically puts somebody on a list, whether it's reality or whether it's perception of reality. The question is for us, those of us that are trying to live kingdom lives, what is your first reaction when you hear something that, that might disagree with you? What is your first reaction when you hear about something that offends you or when you're offended in reality or your perception of reality, it doesn't matter if the facts are right or wrong. What is your first reaction? Is your first reaction like, no, they would never do something like that. They're wonderful people. That's not natural. Our first reaction is to say, yeah, I can see how they would be like that. Yeah, they are bad people. Yes, I believe you. Our first reaction is not a merciful one. We love Oprah Winfrey because we love not to give mercy. Blessed are the merciful. Why? Because holding grudges doesn't do anyone any good. Unmerciful hearts are broken hearts. Tweet that. That's good. Unmerciful hearts are broken hearts. It's a constant hunger for vengeance, constantly holding grudges, constantly harboring anger, constantly hacking up relationships, and constantly having a victim mentality. It's a lot of work. And it'll do the most damage, not to the person you're angry with. It does the most damage to you. So who do I need to release? Well, let me just say, first of all, that mercy and justice are not contradictory terms. You might be hearing me say, throw justice out the window. I'm not saying that at all. Showing mercy is not enabling sin. Showing mercy is releasing debt. The Ford uh, Pinto came out in 1971. Do you recognize this car right here? How many of you had that car? Do you have that car? No, nobody did? And you're still alive. You did? Your mom did? All right. I did not know this about the Ford Pinto. Here's something for, from, for all you history buffs. Ford sold almost 330,000 cars the first year alone. That's a lot of cars back then. But the car had a fatal flaw that Ford knew about. Whenever they would do their crash test, do crash testing, uh, they, had a, they, they would do the rear end collision and a fuel filter neck would separate when they did the rear end colli- collision. It would puncture the fuel tank and it would spray ignited fuel into the passenger seat. They knew this happened. But Ford decided that this was a flaw that was too expensive to fix. 
you know how expensive it would be to fix all of these flaws? $11 per car. They chose instead not to do it, and here's why. They had their lawyers look at what it would be like to fix every single Ford Pinto versus how it would be to pay off people in a lawsuit. And when they did that, they decided that it was more cost-effective for them to pay people in lawsuits than to fix the problem. And so by 1978, so many cars <laughs> had had this happen. The outcry was so strong, and this memo was leaked from Ford to the media that th they had done this cost analysis. Ford had to recall 1.5 million Pintos and make the proper modifications and ended up paying far more than they would have if they had just made the, the proper uh, modifications in the first place because now they had to fix it and still pay the multiple lawsuits. Um, guess how many people died from this? Want to take a guess? You'll never guess. 900 people died from this one flaw. Mercy does not mean ignoring sin. Mercy does not mean enabling sin. Mercy does not mean enabling sin so that it goes on hurting others. God is just and God is merciful. These are not contradictory terms. To distribute justice and to distribute mercy is not multiple sides of the spectrum, opposite sides of the spectrum. You can be just and you can crave justice, but you must be merciful in the process. And that's where we lose track of this all. Both of these are attributes of the kingdom. Both come from God. But in the dis distribution of justice, mercy must be the attitude always. If you read 1 Corinthians 5, you'll come across some very disturbing passages on what it means to discipline in the church. And when discipline is done in the church, any healthy church will do church discipline. When that happens, the entire church is called into action. But in the process, we don't give away mercy. We embrace justice. Sin needs to be dealt with. We don't enable sinners no more. We don't enable sins no more than you would in your own children. We, but we, and I'm not calling you children, I'm just saying, we hold one another accountable. Justice is not the opposite of mercy. It just means when justice is distributed, it's always done from a merciful attitude. We don't distribute justice so we can be proven right. We distribute justice with a broken heart because of what sin has caused in somebody's life. Even in discipline, you can still show mercy. And the bottom line is this, we must offer forgiveness to all those who ask for forgiveness and still offer it to those who never will. Do you know what the bar is for this? Therefore, forgive one another even as God through Christ has forgiven you. The mercy available in the kingdom must be made visible to all. Spouses, they'll let you down. They'll not meet your expectations. Kids, need I say more, Parents spoken hurtful words to kids and to their children. Churches who have hurt you and authorities that have, that have wronged us. Bosses, pastors, police, teachers. We live in a world where mercy is a rare commodity. You know how I know that? Because of what happened yesterday. Do you see that? Hate is so prevalent, so easy, so natural. Mercy. Mercy is, a, mercy is a valuable commodity because it's a commodity of the kingdom. The standard by which you release others 
is a standard by which you understand God has released you. Did you know that? You, you do know that because you know this. Say it with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive those who trespass against us, right? Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass. Now think about that just for a second. Forgive us our trespasses on the same level as we forgive those who trespass against us. Really? Really? You want God to forgive you the same way you forgive everybody in your life? Is that the standard we're saying here? Well, for, for me, I hope he's going to forgive me a lot more than I'm willing to forgive others. Because in my human nature, that is a very hard thing to give mercy. But God expects it from those, of, from those followers. If our attitude is not to forgive and not to show mercy, then that could be God's attitude toward us as well. So, here's the bottom line. I need to release others of wrongs against me because that is the redeeming attribute of God at work in my life. Finally, am I missing the point? Our sin demanded justice. Every offense against God demands an equal, every reaction gets an equal and opposite reaction, and every sin against God demands justice. We miss that. Because we sinned against God how many times? How many times this past week do you sin against God? You want to crank it up. Let's go, uh, let's go this last month. How'd you do? Did you offend God more than once? Twice? How many times did you let the word out or let the thought in? How many times did you hurt somebody or say a word that you, oh, you wish you could get back? How many times did you have a bad attitude? How many times did you make sure that the person at the McDonald's window knew you were right because the other person was a moron that stayed on the horn the whole time around? How many, I mean, that's wrong, right? It's a, it's a wrong attitude, and we do it consistently. How many times do we offend God, and yet God every time forgives us? I'm amazed. When you look at it through those lenses, how much mercy we receive and how little we're, living, we're willing to give. If you missed it, you're the servant, and God is the king. God has forgiven you an incredible debt you will never repay. And our lives are made up of walking around to all the people in the village and demanding from them how much they owe us. That's the point of the parable. When we realize how much we, we've been given mercy, it's much easier to give away mercy. Here's what it says in Psalm 103. God does not deal with us according to our sins nor repay us according to our iniquities. Do you get that? If he did, we wouldn't be here. God does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. That's why mercy is such a high value in the kingdom of God. I have been given mercy. I have been released from my debts. My life is about giving mercy to others and releasing them of their debts against me. The bottom line is, I show mercy because I've been given an incredible amount of mercy. And by the way, this is the only beatitude that promises to give back whatever you get, promises to get back whatever you give. Do you notice that? You probably didn't. Neither did I until I really started studying this. Like, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled, right? You got your hunger and thirst, you're going to be filled. Or if you mourn, you're going to be 
comforted, right? It's always a, if, if this happens, then you'll get this. You know, it's always a, a if this is where you lack something, be given so that, that you won't lack anymore. This is the only one where if you give it, whatever you get is something that you're supposed to give. Be merciful so that you can receive mercy. It's the only one. Blessed are those who give mercy, for they shall be given mercy. So let me just say this one thing. You will likely get tired of doing this in your life. You will likely at some point think, I am the only person on this earth giving this much mercy when it's called for. I never get mercy given to me, right? Don't you think that? Maybe you don't. I'm really fallen, so if you haven't picked that up yet, that's usually what I think. I'm the one that's serving the most. I'm the one that's breaking my back. I'm the one that's giving mercy the most. But the mercy that we receive back is not mercy from horizontal lines. It's mercy from the vertical line. You give mercy because you have received mercy from God. Who has not received mercy from God? Name one person. Can't. So the point is this. You want mercy? Give it away. Be a mercy-filled person. Don't hold grudges. Release debts. Offer blessing. Life in the kingdom is not about driving somebody to the ground until they declare, indeed, Craig, you are greater. Uncle, I submit. That's not life in the kingdom. <laughs> life in the kingdom is about not avenging yourself and letting people go. Here's a verse you're going to hate. Romans 12, 19. Beloved, how many times should you avenge yourselves? Oh, come on. You can say it louder than that. It's right in the Bible. It's a good verse, right? Beloved, how many times should you avenge yourselves? Never. How many times do you want to avenge yourself? <laughs> I know, I know. So you sound just as bad as I am. I feel better. See? All right. Submit. Uh, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is, oh boy, hungry, what is your job? Feed him. Oh, come on. If he's thirsty, oh, give, him something give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. That doesn't mean, I'm going to be so godly, I'm going to prove that you're sinful. That's not what that means. It means that by doing so, you're showing them something they've never seen before. The kingdom of God in real time. And they may hold grudges against you and they may treat you poorly and they may, they may steal from you and they may hurt you and they may owe you, but your responsibility to them is to show them the kingdom of God in real time. Show them mercy that you've been shown. And when they see that, the heap coals on their head is, is not that you want them to feel bad, it's that they will see something they're not used to. And hopefully that will purify their heart and change it. And then it finishes with this. Don't be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. There's not one person in this room, not one person listening to this message that has not been wronged by somebody else. Not one. First church I went to in Indiana, there was a pastor there who they asked to leave the year after we arrived. I was a youth pastor. And they heard me preach and they said, Craig, you like to preach, don't you? I said, I love to preach. And they said, how about you preach for us until we find another pastor? I said, 
deal. I like that. So I got to do what? Just preach? No, no, do all your normal stuff and preach on Sunday and Wednesday night because we had Wednesday night services because we were good Baptists and that's what you did. So I got all of those responsibilities. And they said, just to make it up to you, we'll give you an extra 50 bucks a week. Sound good? Yeah, I'll take it. <laughs> I was young and stupid. Two years they looked for a pastor, they never found one. You know why they never found one? Is because the church started really liking us, Beth and me, in that position. And so no matter who they brought in, they would vote him down because they wanted us to see, to see if we could be the next pastor. I was 22 years old. So the older generation in the congregation, they were going like, there's no way we're ever going to elect Craig to be our, our senior pastor. And I was going, I'll do whatever the Lord wants me to do. 50 bucks, 25, 10, I don't care. Just give me something to do. The vote was on Sunday, and the Saturday before that, we were out washing cars. I was out with the kids, we were earning money to go to Mexico, we were serving. Do you remember this, Michael? Michael was there, yeah. That Saturday, the leaders of the church, brilliant and amazing leaders that they were, decided to have a moment of time when they invited all the people of the congregation to come in, and they could say whatever they wanted about us as to why we should or shouldn't be the next uh, senior pastor of the church. And so, so a line began to form. <laughs> I didn't know any of this was going on. In, I was washing cars, doing what the Lord called me to do. And one lady in particular had been on the phone throughout the past couple of weeks before that, trying to convince her friends that you shouldn't vote for Craig and Beth. Don't, don't, don't let Craig be our senior pastor. He's way too young. And you know what? She was kind of right. But at the time, I was thinking, that really hurts me. She was calling everybody that she could think of in the church and saying all these horrible things about us so that she could get them to vote against us when the vote came up. So they did the vote. I needed 75%. I think I got 73. So I didn't get the vote. And I went home, and as a 22-year-old, you know, I've got, you know, I'm really mature. <laughs> and I, I went home, and I was, I was sad and today I'm awfully glad because it was amazing how my life would have changed if I had been there. But that vote needed to happen so that people could go on and they could vote for somebody else to come in and, and because we, we needed to have a, a, a lead pastor. I needed the break. That lady who called all those people and led a little rally for the people that were gathered waiting to see the deacons that day on Saturday hurt her leg about a month later. She ended up in the hospital. I'm serving as the interim pastor. She's an older lady. It's a serious incident for her. And so I'm thinking to myself, what's my responsibility here? So I got in the car and I went down and I saw her. We had a conversation and I prayed with her. And she never brought up anything. Never, never said she called all the friends, never brought up anything. She just laid in bed and I prayed for her and I talked to her husband and we had a good conversation and I went home. That, those kinds of things uh, happen to us on a regular basis, right? It's at times like that that we really find out if we are people that have been redeemed or if we're just still living out those old nature of the flesh. My responsibility was to pray for my congregation to shepherd the people that God had given me to shepherd. And while I wanted something different or my feelings got hurt and I was, 
uh, no matter where I was, I still was called to do a certain thing, and no matter what happened, I had to be faithful to that, and so are we on a regular basis. God has given us responsibilities in our lives, and no matter what happens in our lives, it may grate on our pride, it may hurt us, we may think that people owe us, we may think that we are wronged, and no matter how right we think we are, God calls us to be merciful people. Why? Because we have been shown a bucket load of mercy. The thing about mercy that I cannot show mercy, this is where it hurts the most. You cannot show mercy unless you are wronged. Right? You cannot show mercy to somebody unless they have offended you. And that's the hard thing about this because the bottom line is you will be offended before you get to put this into practice. When that comes up, when you are offended, when you are hurt, when somebody does owe you, what is your natural inclination? To hold them responsible? To make sure they know you're right? Make sure they know how wrong they are? Get a whole bunch of people to understand and make them know how wrong they are? Or is it to hand out mercy like God hands it to you? It doesn't mean justice is not done. It doesn't mean that God will not have his way, but that's his arena. And it doesn't mean that sometimes you, you need to take legal action against somebody. That, that sometimes needs to be done so that sin can be stopped. But as far as it depends on us, we are merciful people. And we never feel avenged. We might feel sorrow, but never avenged. So you want mercy? Give it away. Always remember how much mercy you have received that you did not deserve. And then you might begin to understand <laughs> how to give mercy away a little easier.